0: Marcel, how are you today?
1: I'm, I'm good. Uh, even though I look like I've just rolled out of bed.
0: <laughs> you look great. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to 50% with Marcel Combs, my good friend and mentor. I'm Deantha Grattan, and on this podcast, she will travel a journey of leadership with each guest as she analyzes the ingredients that lead women to their current role. Marcel's goal is for you to walk away with tools to support your very own journey, no matter where your current destination is today.
1: Today, we are going to have a great podcast with a young woman whose name is Carrie Fox, and she is the owner and CEO of Mission Partners, which is B Corporation. She also is a certified female-owned um, corporation and she has written actually a couple books, one called More Than Words and then a children's book.
0: It's very interesting her children's book, isn't it?
1: Yes, Adventures in Kindness. So she helps people and helps organizations come up and have it long-term goals uh, mission and legacy. What a a wonderful mission, I guess, if you will, or vision for the world that she has. She's done all kinds of
0: things. Oh yeah. Marcel, her first job was with Cal Ripken's foundation of baseball. And I love that. And that was when she was in college. So uh, she's on this journey uh, and y'all have a lot in common. I, I, I think they're going to really enjoy.
1: Oh, I, I think they're going to love the moments that we have with her and certainly be able to reach out to her if you want more information. So let's go to Carrie. Good morning, Carrie. so nice to have you on 50% with Marcel Combs today. Good morning.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Yes, we're excited to have you here and and as I've uh, watched and read through your history, I think it's going to be a wonderful time to just let our audience know all about you. I generally start with having the our guest just tell us a little bit about your journey. You can begin wherever you want on that. Some people begin you know, begin at birth and other people begin at some other point in their career. And so I'll just, I'll just turn it over to you and let you uh, spend a few minutes talking about that.
0: All right. That sounds great. Thank you. Well, Uh we always joke, my family always jokes that I was kind of born with a service mindset, right? From the time I was a little kid, I was thinking about what I could do that could support my community and that could um, address some of the issues I was seeing in my neighborhood when I was growing up. And I didn't know what that would turn into, but a lot of people said, oh, you're going to be in nonprofits when you grow up. And so that was something I heard. Um, and then as I grew, I realized I had a love of writing and the creative arts. And so I said, maybe I'll be a writer, you know, maybe I'll be a journalist. And moving then into my um my search for college, I expected to go to college to become a journalist, until I determined that there was a path called public relations. And I could go and I could actually be behind the camera, which is where I'm a lot more comfortable. And I could help shape stories. And I could help inform people about key issues. And I could help move nonprofits forward without running the nonprofit. And that's ultimately what I did. I I went into public relations I got a very early job. I actually started my internships when I was in middle school in communications, very, very young with a neighborhood friend who gave me some early chances to file papers, right? But I was hooked on two things, Marcel, very early. Entrepreneurship, I knew I wanted to to run my own company someday, uh, and service. And for a long time, I didn't know that you could actually put those two things together. I thought there was a corporate path and there was a nonprofit path until I was in college and I learned about something called corporate social responsibility. And I realized that I could actually start a company that was grounded in service. And so that's what I did. I started my first company. I had some wonderful years actually working inside organizations, both nonprofit organizations and agencies, uh, and then started my first company when I was 25 years old and built that company up to a national boutique public relations firm before starting my second company and the current company that I run called Mission Partners, which is a certified B corporation. So we exist with a triple bottom line philosophy um, and we're a certified women-owned business. And so I really found like I have found my calling in life, right? To, to focus on service, to leave something behind that's better than I found it. And along the way, hopefully leaving a really good model for my girls too so you have you have daughters i do i do oh, I have good. a thirteen year old and a ten year old
1: wow, yeah, those are uh girls um I always say from about nine up they get maybe nine to thirty. They're a little prickly <laughs> <laughs> that's a big I mean, that's a big uh, uh wonder wonderful, 30. but a little prickly uh so. <laughs> I, I now have a nine-year-old granddaughter, and she is just the sweetest, most lovely thing. But she can be a little prickly sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and as a grandparent, you get to giggle a little bit because you're thinking that's kind of your problem. Right. <laughs> I just right, I right, just get right. to be the love, encouragement, positive. Uh, person in this, so uh, one thing, and and partially because my uh, daughter worked in the foster system for just a hot second. Um, mm-hmm. She's a social worker by trade, but really doesn't d- doesn't work in that area anymore. The, probably the complete opposite, if you will. And she works for Disney World. Um, mm-hmm. But the foster system, I noticed that you had done some work in particular for young people aging out. I would love for you to talk a little more about that. I, I have a huge uh, – I I have – my daughter is adopted, and she – not out of the foster system, but I have friends who have adopted out of the foster system, and have so many struggles there that mm-hmm. I think are um, – somewhat overwhelming it feels like at times right. as what we as Americans can do. So, so let's explore that just a little bit. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks for picking up on that. This is some of my life's proudest work to have worked with um, starting first the Annie E. Casey Foundation that at the time was called the Jim Casey Youth Opportunities Initiative. Fun fact, Jim Casey was the founder of UPS. Annie E. Casey was his mom. Um, and uh, Jim Casey started an organization that was designed to help people who were in the, in the foster care system. When I entered into this work, um, it was about 2010, and there were about 40,000 young people who were aging out of care every year. And the negative effects for those young people were pretty horrible, right? 78% of young people, of young girls who would age out would be pregnant in their first year. 90% of kids would experience homelessness. Um, wow! In the eighty percent of young people would actually end back up in the juvenile justice system, and so we knew that the system was broken. And the best way I could say it is that the government was never meant to be a parent, and so yeah. foster care system is not set up to parent the way that you and I know kids need support and love and wrap around you know connections. And so we launched a campaign called Success Beyond Eighteen that was designed to improve and transform the foster care system. And we went state to state across the United States advocating for governors to pull down some resources that existed in the federal budget that would allow them to increase the age out age, which in many cases was 18, right? On an 18th birthday, a young person would have to leave the foster care system and start on their own, up to 25. A young person could stay in that foster care environment and ideally uh, those who were in the loving family could stay there the family could continue to have the support to provide for that young person through the age of eight of 25 which you and i both know right if we were told on our 18th birthday here's a black garbage bag of your belongings go and good luck to you versus 25 you're at a completely different point in your life and so i feel incredibly proud that more than 20 states passed that law, so many young people were able to stay in care and have had such better outcomes as a result of it. Um, and this is a, a lifelong issue for me that I will continue to advocate for improvements to a foster care system that generally the child welfare system has a lot to improve upon.
1: Uh-huh. It, um, I think I saw it so up close and personal Uh, just for the short time that my daughter worked in that system and as Mm. I said consequently I know a couple of people who tried to adopt out of the foster system and really you have to be very determined to be able to uh, jump through all the hoops and make all the things it takes um, to do that and of course i have a big heart there um because i have an adopted child um and i you know i, I it's it's just hard i i don't know what all the answers are but that's a, a really proud work i'm sure forever that you worked with that um also tell me um about i know you were the spokesperson for Ripken baseball um and i think that might have been earlier in your career, um, one, my co-host, DeAntha Gratton's a big baseball fan. So she picked right up on this. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) Me,
0: I would have said, oh, isn't that interesting? But uh, tell me how you helped them. Well, DeAntha, then you will enjoy this. Uh, Ripken (laughs) Baseball is the nonprofit organization of Cal Ripken Jr. and his brother, Bill Ripken. Cal Ripken is a Um, Hall of Famer who played for many years on the Orioles, as did his brother and their father. I was hired to be the Director of Communications for Baseball when I was in college. And there's a great story, Marcel, you know, talk about how you enter into your career. I was a junior in college, and I was working to support the athletics department, raising visibility and awareness about some of our athletics program in Baltimore, Maryland. And Cal Ripken called the athletics director and said, I need the name of someone who's getting ready to graduate. I'm looking for someone to fill this this position for me. And Joe Boylan was his name. Joe Boylan said, call Carrie Fox. And little did Joe know, I was a junior, not a senior. So I get this call and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, did I just get a call from Cal Ripken Junior? And I went in and I interviewed and I got the job and I told him I wasn't actually about to graduate. And they still offered me the job. So I worked during the day and I took classes at night. And as soon as I graduated, I was off and running with them. So I worked with Ripken Baseball for the first three years of my career before leaving to join a public affairs firm. But I I credit that early opportunity as, one, an opportunity to see an amazing brand in action, right? To see how a leader like Cal Ripken Jr. carries himself and thinks about how to advance a meaningful mission in the world and um, how to be of service, uh, particularly someone who has a platform like his, he gave me opportunities well before I was ready and believed in me more than I believed in myself. And, and I will say that uh, doubly for his brother, Bill Ripkin. So they gave me an opportunity that allowed me to um, jumpstart my career.
1: That's. It, isn't that wonderful? If we could have more transitions like that, where mm-hmm. you have someone key in any kind of organization that truly believes in you. I, I will say, just by interviewing lots and lots of women, I find that as a pretty common theme that somewhere along the way, someone, as you said, believed in them more than they believed in themselves perhaps at that point and what a difference that made in that person. Um, I know when you, um, which I, I looked at certified B corporations and I'm, I am also a certified female owned business. I did that only a few years ago, even though I've always been Mm -hmm. because actually through another company that I have, we, um, we needed it for a particular contract. I said, well, I am a female business, but I've never been certified. So why did you choose? I know uh, from my small amount of research, which has been a few years back, that you pick that B Corporation because it it's in your bylaws, in essence, that you are going to do some type of social um I hate to say the word justice, but some, some types of social, social activities there. Correct. correct. Um, so tell me why you decided to do that.
0: So and, I and said at the beginning. It helped you. Uh, absolutely. In, yes. In yes. your walk. Uh, at the beginning that I've had a, I've had a love of service my whole life, but I also wear my heart on my sleeve very proudly. You know how I feel yes. about just about anything at all times. And so that first company I ran, that first 13 years, we called ourselves a mission-driven PR firm. That's what we were, right? And many people said, oh, you must be a B Corporation. I said, no, we're not. We're a a for-profit LLC. And so when I decided to wind down that company and start again with some wonderful lessons I had learned the first time around, I knew that we wanted to be a benefit corporation. And there were a few reasons. One, we were already doing this incredible work that was having um, a a deeper impact than we knew many other companies were, right? I'm not driven by the dollar. I'm driven by the impact. And knowing that we could have a certification that would hold us accountable to impact was something else entirely. I love having accountability partners. I love having people who are... um, as, as I said about that Cal Ripkin story, people who are pushing me along, who are believing in me, who are thinking I can do more than I can even think about on my own. And that's what the B Corp certification has done for us. We are part of a community of uh, leaders, business leaders, who are really thinking about how do we push business as a force for good? How do we wow. challenge some of the norms in business about where wealth is held and how wealth is distributed? or the experience that employees have inside of a company or the power that employees can have inside of a company. The B Corp gives you freedom to to flip the script, right? To say, this might be the way it is in a traditional for-profit business, but what if we tried it a different way? And that beautiful what if, you know, it's the basis of the book I wrote, uh, More Than Words that came out last year. It's such a wonderful invitation to think about how you can improve the world around you rather than being stuck or frozen by thinking about what is, right? There's a lot that doesn't work, but what if? You just took a chance at changing something, at trying something, at taking one step forward. And I think that's the beauty of what I found in the B Corp community.
1: You know, I've spent my life working in healthcare and one would think that (laughs) the entire purpose of healthcare is to really care for people. But somewhere in the eighties, um, we turned healthcare from caring institution to a business institution. Right. They became driven by outcomes, which outcomes are great. I mean, mm-hmm. it, who wouldn't want to pick the company where the outcomes are the best? Who right. wouldn't want to do that? Right. Except right. for on the backside of that. The business all becomes about checking boxes and, and, and getting, at least on paper, a person to a certain level versus there is a real, and I, I said this to someone the other day, you know, when you wipe through all that, there really is a real patient on the other end of that, there's a real family that's hurting. There's a real situation that's difficult. And who, who is left to care in healthcare? So, Mm -hmm. but the problem is the dollars are cut down, cut back, cut out every day, cut down, cut back, cut out. And it becomes this um, huge dilemma if, if your health of your bottom line isn't good, then you can't mm-hmm. provide the care, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, it you know, it is a problem. So how would you help businesses? What's one? Because people would say, Carrie, that's all great. Um, <laughs> you knock yourself out. But we have a budget and a board and people to answer to and raises and insurance. And, you know, we have problems um so so how do you help them if you said maybe a couple minutes ago inch forward or do one thing
0: right right great question and i would focus on the mindset you just outlined we've got numbers to hit we've got uh uh, shareholders to report to stakeholders to report to that's a short-term mindset that is that is a company that is really focused on the today and solving for the today Versus a long-term mindset is willing to understand and see that, yes, you might take some hits in the short-term, but the long-term is so much more effective. I don't know if you remember a few years ago when CVS announced that they were getting rid of cigarettes in all of their stores. And at the time, Larry Merlo, who was the CEO, went on CBS this morning and he said, we understand that this is a billions-dollar business for CVS, and we are willing to turn that off today because we know in the long-term health of our company, we can't be a healthcare company, which is the way CVS wanted to move, if we are selling cigarettes at the checkouts. Mm. And they were the first ones to make that move. They continue to be one of the strongest pharmacies, right, with so many wraparounds. They have made so many investments and improvements since that day. Sometimes it takes being the first to take a risk but it definitely requires living through your values. And if you as a company say we are a healthcare company, you can't be selling something that goes against healthcare. It is hard, it is hard for many companies to say, sure, we will fully live through our values even if it means we will take a cut to the bottom line. The reality is I think history shows us that when you live through those values, take the short-term hits, the long-term impact is significantly greater.
1: I didn't know the CVS story, so thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I always think of uh, Chick-fil-A, I, and no one's more disappointed in the airport if the <laughs> Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. It's always like, oh, great, they're closed on Sunday. But whether you agree or disagree with their value on that, as a company, they said this is what we value. This is what we will do. And at first the mall said, well, too bad. So sad. You can't come in here. Right. Uh, imagine an airport, uh, mm-hmm. that would allow a, the only business that is closed on a Sunday, mm-hmm. um, do that. So it, I can't even imagine what they're hit on, um, on the bottom line is to them for making that stand but but the uh, reality Marcel
0: is that the benefit on the six other days of the week is still so strong that it right it it washes itself out they're willing to take that hit on Sunday because it shows who they are same thing with REI deciding that they were going to close on Thanksgiving because they valued their employees and that time outside so there are, there are some wonderful examples of what it really looks like for a business to live through those values and how they ultimately benefit in the end.
1: Who wants to go to the store on Thanksgiving? I'm always I'm with in some you. kind of food coma. <gasps> right? <laughs> I, I can barely. Again, I'm not the sports person, but let me just say, I will sit on the couch that day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just think, when will this feeling go away so I can have another piece of pie? Um, <laughs> so that's that's the bat That would tell you my um, my thinking. So, how would you approach Carrie, a company? Let's say the company says they want to do good and their, their mission statement says they want to do these things. But really, when you get below the sheets, they, um, what they say up here and what they do down here are mm-hmm. two totally different things. Mm-hmm. How would you help them begin, do you have a specific example of maybe how you would help them be, begin to talk the talk and walk the walk?
0: Yeah. So at Mission Partners, I, I run a process called visioneering, where I sit down with leaders, often leaders and, and their teams, and we think, you know, what do you want your impact to be? What do you want your legacy to be? Five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road, if you continue to do what you do, what do you hope? The lasting impact of that is and so we start there we start on the truly positive blue sky view of what you hope your good intentions will lead to and then we start to as you say uncover the sheets pull them back a little bit and say what could be the unintended harm of the way we're doing this work today right so are there ways that we might actually make sure we are doing good without doing more harm that we are doing good and maybe challenging ourselves to address or change our processes along the way. One of those examples could be coming back to that wealth distribution. So we work often with organizations who say, we want to distribute X number of dollars to our community over the next 10 years. And we force them to think about how many dollars they're planning to distribute externally to their community compared to how many dollars their leadership team will take home and how many dollars their employees will take home over time, right, when you compound that over time. And oftentimes people think and and start to have this aha moment of, oh gosh, I might not actually be doing as much impact as I think I'm doing um, when I really start to see how the dollars shake out in front of me. So it does require that great question again, what if? What if you challenged yourself to give more than than you think you can? What have you challenged yourself to invite leaders of the community to actually inform your strategy rather than deciding for yourself what you believe the best strategy is? One of the places I see many leaders, I I hesitate to say go wrong, but um, have aha moments, I'll say, is when they realize they've been carrying too much of the decision-making. And so to pull back a little bit and say, "Let's, let's have some conversations with our community where we are trying to make our greatest impact and really understand the issue so we can then make our decisions accordingly. Comes back to the what if question, the you know, daring to ask that what if, listening really deeply, and then be, be willing to do things that are outside of the norm.
1: You know, there's a lot of people in the United States today who feel our country is in crisis due to a lot of things. Maybe just the pure fact that people have forgotten to be kind to each other, even when we disagree. I mean, we can't. You know, I, I, there's particular foods I do and don't like. I don't need to be unkind because someone's eating that, even though I do think sometimes (laughs) that I have been unkind thinking, oh goodness. But, you know, in everything, what, what do you think is our biggest, maybe this is too big of a question for a, a podcast, but what do you think is our biggest need or problem as we look at where we are in the U.S. We're a country of wealth, and yet we have lots of homeless sitting on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we say we love our children, but we pay our teachers some of the lowest salaries in any industry. Uh, when you look at all of that, because really and truly, I think most of us could be a little overwhelmed with all the needs. When you when you step back and look at that, and you've been doing this since you were in elementary school, right? <laughs> Volunteering and looking at service needs. What do you see are the top one or two needs we have out there?
0: It's a great question. There is such a distinction, Marcel, between a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset. So what I mean by that is, it's common for many people in many cultures, uh, though maybe it's pronounced in American culture, to have what's called a scarcity mindset of being afraid that there's not enough to go around, of feeling like we've got to protect our own, um, whatever that means, right? And, and so what that results in is often a desire to keep things close, hold on to what we have, um, make sure that we've, you know, we've protected ourselves along the way, Versus an abundance mindset, which understands that there will always be more than enough to go around if we let it, if we distribute those resources. And when you start to think about how an an abundance mindset can um, show up in a society, in a family, in a church, in a community, that that's when you really start to see a deeper level of empathy and kindness and connection start to show up. It's less the... I'm in this for myself, I'm in this for my self-interest, and it's more about we all do better when we do it together. Mm-hmm. Great. I uh, don't know if you saw yeah. Marcel in the, in the background, um, but the first book I wrote was actually a children's book on kindness.
1: Oh, really? I love and that. Was, I didn't pick it, that up.
0: Yes, it was a book called Adventures in Kindness, and I oh. wrote it with my daughter, who at the time oh. was 10. She's 13 oh. now. Great. And... We wrote it because she was often being told, you're too young to make a difference. There's nothing you can do. Wait until you're X number of years old. And she didn't like the sound of that. And she was hearing that around the same time as she was also seeing some really mean people around her and not understanding um, why people had to act so mean. And we said, well, if we don't like the way that mean feels, let's put the opposite out into the world. Let's, in her world, in her mind, that was kindness. And so we started going on our own adventures in kindness. And we realized pretty soon after that other people would enjoy those too. And that resulted in this wonderful book that has 52 adventures, one for every year, that kids can go on. They're like kindness scientists. Go on an adventure, write down how it made you feel, practice kindness. And then move on to the next. And I'll tell you something, Marcel, that's not often um, in the book or or, or it's not the first message you get from the book. But I wrote that because kids need that message as much as parents. And if parents and kids are practicing kindness together, then we are both and all building that muscle that if if it's not built and strengthened, it simply goes away just like any muscle in our body. And so that practice of kindness is very important, intentional practice of kindness.
1: You know, there are many people in our country that believe we can legislate kindness. I'm not one of them. I I feel more it starts with you and your daughter Mm -hmm. in the home doing that. And we can set all kinds of rules. And I used to say, in the way back when, machine, all kinds of memos. You can't. I would say text and email these days. Um, but when a day is done, you have to do something yourself. I don't. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. read the book. Um, it's an older book now. It's called Same Kind of Difference as Me and no. it's about it's a great book it's about a homeless guy uh and a uh will if if you will an art dealer very wealthy art dealer who form um an and there's actually a movie too, not a not an academy award winner movie but Um, I heard Ron Hall, which is, uh, the offer and Denver, what's Denver's last name? I can't remember his last name. Uh, but, but Denver is no longer living and he was a homeless guy. And, you know, once he did this whole turnaround due to kindness from this one particular couple, one of his statements that stayed with me, he's, he said, no one person can, um, Solve the homeless issue, but he was talking about a southern town and mm-hmm. saying there were 250 churches mm-hmm. <laughs> in the area. What if each church took one person, just mm-hmm. one? And you know, maybe we not we can't help all, but perhaps we can help one. I I know I can help one. I don't right. know. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I can't help 250 but I certainly can uh,
0: help one. So anyway. It's um, it, a perfect example of the butterfly effect, uh-huh. right? You, we, we flap our wings somewhere and we don't know what will happen somewhere else, but yes. one action will always lead to another.
1: So if you're talking to uh, young women entrepreneurs, uh, what would be some advice you would give them?
0: So start with your values and don't underestimate the power of them, of knowing what you believe in and who you are. And the reality is it's okay if that changes over time. And it will. Right. And it will. But don't underestimate how important it is to know who you are, what you believe in, and walk away when something doesn't feel right.
1: You know, one of the topics that I've been spending some time speaking on lately is burnout. And I know a lot of people, if they're working in true social issues, Mm -hmm. there's a high level of burnout. How would you um, or what would be some things that you would try to put in place for a person if they felt like they were
0: burning out with what they were doing? It, burnout is so different in different industries. I'm thinking about you in healthcare, and there is a certain kind of burnout that exists for a nurse or a doctor that is very different in someone in a different career. That aside, acknowledging that some burnout is intense um, and and very, very complicated to, to manage, I often think about in my line of work, the folks that I see experiencing burnout is somewhat uh, amplified by technology. And so... It's always a good reminder if you are feeling that sense of burnout to consider if you can in fact step away from the devices and the technology that may be, may be dinging in your ear and echoing around the clock and having you feel like literally you cannot step away because that's going to only enhance the feeling of burnout. We need rest, right? We as humans require rest and many of us don't get enough of it. So to think about how to balance and manage your time, time is so finite. It is the only uh, resource that we don't get back, right? We use it and it doesn't come back to us. It can't be renewed in any way. So being mindful of how we're using it and taking time for rest and prioritizing that time for rest can help quite a bit.
1: Rest, oh, I don't do that well. Um, Mm. (laughs) But um, when... When you look at organizations um, and and even your own organization, a lot of people say five-year goals and you you talked about what is is your legacy. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people are saying, you know, five-year strategic plans are off the table these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's too long. The world changes too quick. And I, I do think that might be true in some ways, but when it comes to legacy or mission, mm-hmm. it's hard to get there in six months, um, it, is. it is. which some people are advocating, don't make your strategic plan for over six months. How How do you, if you walk in an organization, and I can't imagine that you haven't, and they say, no longer do we do long-term strategic plans. Mm. Uh, Carrie, don't talk to us about that. How do you how do you try to merge? And, and part of that is technology, if you will. Right, right. Um, you know, how do you uh, how do you approach that?
0: I like to think about a difference between a long term vision, knowing exactly what you envision your impact to be in the world, and that should be five, ten, fifteen years down the road, right? So to have a clear vision of what you want the long term impact to be. But then to prioritize in terms of the action steps, what we do at Mission Partners is very short. We think about it over the course of a year, but we break it up even more and we say, what will we do in 90-day increments? So if we know we are working towards this big long-term vision, we don't have a 10-year action plan that we've built. What we do instead is we are monitoring the steps we are taking toward that big vision, knowing that over time, we will be moving big boulders, right? We will be moving mountains. But if we break it up into smaller pieces, then it accounts and allows for the natural changes that will happen around us. So every 90 days, we're checking in, but we have a very clear and shared vision for what we want the world to be.
1: If you look back on what what you've done, and you did say uh, this was your second company, and you you retool some things. Uh, Mm -hmm. So are there things, what, what things did you do different the second time? And I, have restarted a business a few times in my career. I'm much older than you. Um, but I, I can't seem to stay out of it. I always say, this is it. I'm done. I'm, (laughs) I'm not, I'm, I'm going to just sit on the porch, um, Mm -hmm. and read my books. And right. I would like that. I, I it, In one part of my brain, I think I would like that uh, when the alarm goes off and I have to get on that dumb elliptical. Um, so, um, you know, what what lessons did you learn or what things did you say, I'm going to modify and, and do differently this time?
0: I showed up in a way that I ultimately didn't like in my first company. I was there from morning till night. Most nights I'd order dinner in and still be working. My life was my work. I didn't want that for myself or for my family. And I knew that the only way I was going to change it was to radically change it. And so I also should say that in that first company, I noted, I started it when I was 25, right? I was working to be able, fighting to be able to show up as Uh, equal or, or close in some way to my peers who had been doing this for decades. And often I was the youngest person and one of the few women in the room. And so I thought I had to show up a certain way. What I realized is that showing up truly as myself and creating that time for the balance and doing the work that is most meaningful to me actually makes me a significantly better professional and a better business person and a better parent too, and spouse, right? So it was it was that need to let go of some things that I thought I had to be in order to just be, right? And to, to be able to do this work with my heart fully on my sleeve required that I shut down one company and start all over again. You know, as you said, time
1: is your most valuable asset, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the way you said, it's the thing that you don't, You don't get back. You don't repeat. Um, And and with children in particular, you 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 have a short moment of time. When I tell people who have a two and three and four year old Mm -hmm. these things, they're like, "Oh yeah, Marcel." Well, it's great when you look back because I have five Mm -hmm. children, Um, and I've been working since the fourth one was about eighteen months old. Full time. I I always Mm -hmm. kind of worked part time, Um, but you know, it's just a moment in time Um, and it's, it's to be treasured um, and, and to be valued for what it is. So I, I appreciate that. Um, So, so what do you have left to do, Carrie? Um, Where, where do you see Carrie Fox uh, and the impact she's made in 15 years? Hmm
0: you know i have a lot to learn still marcel i yeah. i say many days that the day i stop learning will be the day that i close this company there is so mm-hmm. much to learn and i love that about life i love that every day i have a chance to meet someone new like you and learn from yeah. you and throughout the day i'll be learning and practicing that learning and there's so much right from i'm i'm trying to learn Italian right now as a new language. And we'll be practicing that over the course of the year, just as much as I'm learning how to be a better professional and a better parent. So when you say, what's there left to do? I think there's everything left to do still. Every, every day is something that I, that I hope to learn and improve upon.
1: I love Italy. That is, <laughs> of all the places I've visited, uh, two places, Hawaii, Italy, Um, Oh, those two, those two. Um, And I, you know, yeah. So there was a lot I love to travel. And but Mm -hmm. I I will say when people ask me that question, it doesn't take me a hot second to like figure out what it is that I love. You know, I I, we've loved our time with you today. I, I always love to end the show with what are your favorite books besides your own um what are podcast or you know what are you listening to to grow and learn and you know my 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 life vision is i hope the last day that i grow is the last day i take a breath on this earth so very mm-hmm. much i agree with you um there there's just so much to learn in the world we'll never or never right. finished. But where? what are your things that you, you have read that you continue to say, this is the top of the list for me? Right. Uh,
0: I am an avid reader, and there's a number of them. But the one that I started reading this summer um, that is continuing to stick with me, and I turn back to it regularly, is The Art of Living by Thich Nhat Hanh. Okay. Um, and uh, I started reading it when my dad got sick and then passed away a few weeks later pretty unexpectedly and i found so much solace in that book and an ability thank you an ability to to think much wider about our role um on this planet and the time that we spend here so that one had a pretty meaningful uh, impact on me the one that i'm reading right now is similar actually to the same kind of different as me that you mentioned and Uh it's called the other wes moore and it is a huh. wonderful parallel path story of two men named Westmore. One of them became the current governor of Maryland. Uh, huh. And the other one spent most of his life in prison. And huh. they grew up just a couple blocks away from each other. And he tells this wonderful story about how the two of them got to know one another and how he huh. visited with him in prison. So it's written by the governor. It's an incredible story, Marcel, of this idea that If not for the grace of God, he could be me, she could be me, right? That all of our pathways in life are really more parallel than we realize. So those are two books that I have really loved.
1: That's great. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Carrie, how could people get in touch with you? If they they want to follow back up, they want to hear more about your company, uh, they want to buy your book. I assume it's on Amazon.
0: Um, it is. But, yes. Thank you. Uh, um, so the, the best way is actually head over to our, our platform. It's called missionforward.us. That's where right. you'll find our podcast, Mission Forward. You'll find my books. You'll find both books there, Adventures in Kindness and More Than Words, um, and you'll have a chance to connect with me. You can also connect directly at Carrie at mission.partners.
1: Well, Carrie, it's been a delight to spend these moments with you. I could talk to you for long times about oh, <laughs> how do we how do we solve some of the problems in the world um, and, you know, how do, we, how do we then live, I guess, every day a little bit better than the day before? Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for being a great mother, inspiring her daughters. And just thank you for being on 50% with Marcel Combs today. Well, oh, thank you. Thank you for all the good you're putting into the world.
0: I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, dear.